Luke chapter 2. This has been a, a, uh, a down and up week for me. Down and up and up and down. It's, it's been like that, hasn't it? It's, it's been an, a, an emotional roller coaster. We had folks within our own church family right in the midst of that, of that shooting down at Clackamas. We had um, uh, then, then uh, the very next day, as we're just kind of unpacking that, all of a sudden we get word here at the church during Golden Airs that there is a, there is a, 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 a loaded weapon been found at Heritage High School and, and the school's been shut down and locked up and everything else. And it's like, what is going on around us? You know, that's what, that's what that song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, is about. It's written by a well-known American poet, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Henry Longfellow wrote that poem during the final year of the Civil War. It was not a happy time in America. It was a difficult, it was a dark time in America, but it was a dark time in the Longfellow home as well. It was a time, a couple years earlier, he had lost his own wife. She was cutting her seven-year-old daughter's hair, and she thought to save some of the hair, and so she was going to preserve it in some sealing wax. But the flame from the candle caught onto her light cotton dress and the dress caught on fire and uh, and she ran out of the room with the children into the into the study where where her husband was where Henry Longfellow was and he wrapped himself around her trying to put the fire out but he could not and she died from, as a result of those burns the next day he watched her suffer he watched his wife die two years later his son is a lieutenant in the Union Army, and he's very severely wounded that results in a, in a partial paralysis. Despair could easily overtake. In fact, you see those pictures of Henry Longfellow, and he had this long, shaggy beard. For many years after his wife's death, he was, he was in such despair about that that he, he, he didn't shave himself any longer. It, and yet, in the midst of that kind of despair, this is a man who also knew that there is hope. In the midst of our despair, in the midst of circumstances, beyond those circumstances, they don't steal Christmas. They don't steal joy. We live in a confused time. But that's not new. Sometimes it seems like it. It seems like it's worse than ever. But it's not new. Humans have been living in a confused time for a long time. But there's a way today that you and I can be catalysts of hope. You and I can spread, can ignite, can um, share and distribute and, and, and fan up the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and in his coming. That hope that each Advent season and, and Christmas time reminds us of. God so loved the world that he gave his son, the son who, who, who was born, who lived, who died, who rose, who ascended into heaven and is coming again. We anticipate him. In the midst of whatever, he is our hope, but not merely for us. You know, there are many people in the world, and this week reminded me of it again. The scripture tells us in 1 Thessalonians that we do not grieve as those who have no hope, there are some who have no hope. Ephesians chapter 2 grabs me every time. 
when, it's, when it talks about who we were and who others are. It describes it this way, having no hope and without God in the world. That's heavy. Having no hope and without God in the world. When you're there, the world is a cold and dark place. We try to warm it up in all kinds of different ways. But no hope without God. And yet, there is hope. If you know Jesus Christ, if you know God's Savior, you know that hope, and you look for a confident expectation of the future. God has intervened. The Son will return as King. He holds our times in His hands. No matter what circumstance we are in, the circumstance is simply the opportunity that I will live by faith in this life which I only have opportunity for in this life. I will be in his presence. I will see him face to face. But at that point, living by faith, trusting him in the midst of the turmoil and trials, will no longer be. I won't have that opportunity. I won't exercise faith in that way any longer. But now, the dark, the trouble, the turmoil is an opportunity that we can live out in hope, and in living out our hope can be catalysts of hope. What does it take? What does it take? What can we do? What model can I follow if I want to be a catalyst of hope to others? If I want to be one that stirs up hope in the people around me? If I want to be like Cindy Lou Who? If I want to sing a song that resonates with the result that there's lasting fruit? that somebody else's heart is touched and changed by the Holy Spirit out of something that comes out of my life as a catalyst for that hope. There's a pattern in Scripture. There's the, there, there are a couple of people in the Christmas story, insignificant we might think, people we would easily pass over as we're thinking about the, the highlights of the Christmas story. And it's one of the reasons you, you carefully read year by year because we don't want to miss those things that we could overlook. And so we know the story, but we open the book. And we're reminded again of something we might have overlooked. These two. Two people, seemingly insignificant, minor characters in the overall drama, or so it would seem. But these two, these two people show us how you and I also can be catalysts of Christmas hope, how we can spread hope to those around us. Would you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2? Oh, you already did that. Luke chapter 2, if, you're, if, you, if you didn't bring a Bible, if you're using the Pew Bible, I think you'll find us, let's see, about page 725. Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to jump down to verse 25. And before I read, I want to just give you an outline. You've got, actually got this in your notes in front of you. If you have a bulletin, in the bulletin you have, you have notes. There's three headings. I want you to think about those three headings. Follow the Spirit, be filled with God's Word, live in daily worship. Look for those three moves as I read about these two people. Their names are Simeon and Anna. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation or the hope or the comfort of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, led, pressed by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the customs of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother, Joseph and Mary, marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to, and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul also. There was also a prophetess, Anna. The the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was very old. How old is very old? She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84 years old. The good news is, then, as I read the Bible, I'm not very old, no matter what my kids say. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward, who were waiting expectantly to the redemption of Israel. Two people, relatively insignificant people, it would seem like, in Jerusalem in their day. And yet, they were the ones that God used to be catalysts of hope. In a particular way, even to Joseph and Mary, as well as to others around them. Let's pray that you and I would would be the same, that we could be following that pattern, we could be catalysts of hope. God, would you speak to us from your word this morning? Lord, would it not be just what I say, but Father, would it be by your Spirit that your Word opens itself up into our hearts, that you speak to us, that you show us how we could be two certain people, people that you have placed us near, even as you'd placed Simeon near some and Anna near some. Lord, would you show us how to be catalysts of hope, to stir up hope among those whom you have set us around, that they might share our hope in Jesus our Savior and that you would be glorified. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. What would it take? What does it take? What happens here? What do we see in here? First of all, what we see from Simeon, the first two come from Simeon's example, the third one from Anna. First we see from Simeon that he is a man who follows the Spirit. If we want to be a catalyst of hope, we need to follow the Spirit. He is a man that says that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. First of all, it's, it, it, it starts out, the passage starts out that, that he was waiting. That's the same phrase, the same expression that the, the section ends with. It's bookended. Simeon and Anna both are people who are waiting expectantly for the consolation of Israel, the promise of God. We're waiting for the promise of God. We're waiting for Messiah's appearance. They're a lot like us. They're a lot like us as well in that Simeon was a man, uh, the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
In fact, Jesus told his disciples, we've, we, we read it recently a few weeks ago in the, in the Gospel of John, how the Spirit was with you and now will be in you. That those who believe in Jesus Christ, not merely is the Spirit upon us, but the Spirit of the living God dwells within those who believe in Christ. Simeon, the Spirit is upon him. We, the Spirit, is within us. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will take the things of Jesus, Jesus promised, and he will reveal them to you. We have a lot in common with Simeon. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, a particular promise. He would not die before he saw the Christ. And then he's moved by the Spirit. He's led by the Spirit. He's moved by the Spirit. And sensing that move of the Spirit, that suggestion, that impulse, he follows it. He wasn't at the temple, apparently, that morning. He moves to the temple because the Spirit tells him, presses him on the inside, go to the temple. Have you had that? Have you had that sense at times when the Spirit says, go here? Don't go there. Speak up or don't say that. Have you had that experience? I had a, I, I, I had a prompting just this week. It was to call a particular person. And, and, and I thought I knew why I was calling. But after I, I made the call and I'm talking with this person, I realized there was more here that, that I needed to know about that was helpful to me, that was a benefit to me out of that call. So God was prompting for what I was not aware of that I needed to know about. I would have missed all of that if I had not followed that leading that morning. Example out of this, I don't know if this was a spirit's prompting or not, but it's an example of an opportunity is there and what will somebody do with it. Nobody understands or everybody's asking why in the midst of a tragic situation where two people, well, three people died and one was injured in Clackamas on Tuesday. But in the scenario, in that circumstance, you would have expected many more. What happened? How did the police get there? There were police on the scene within a minute. And you know, the first 911 call came before the shooter was even in the building. As he's rushing from his car in the parking lot, he drops something, and a person leaving the mall, as he goes rushing by, sees him drop something and stop to pick it up. And what got her attention was when she saw what he stopped to pick up, it was a loaded magazine full of live ammunition. And that's when she said, something ain't right here. And she took out her phone, and she dialed 911. Could have easily shrugged and say, hmm, must be a hunter. That was an a, 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 um, experiential example, but for me it parallels the significance that we do not realize about the promptings of the Holy Spirit. This week you've had it, so have I. Not only the go here, say something, or this is how to approach that. This is how, how, what to say and what not to say to that person. Or you've also had the times when you're about to go forward into something. You're about to occupy yourself with something and the Spirit says, mm-mm, mm-mm. We do well to practice those promptings of the Spirit. When the Spirit is leading, when the Spirit is pressing, 
We do well to practice those because you learn to hear His voice or you learn to ignore it. Learning to ignore it, you learn to, and it gets quieter. It gets quieter. After a while, you can't hear it at all. You can't hear it at all. We need to tune our hearts to hear the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Last Friday night, how many of you were at Christmas Jazz last Friday night? You know, thank you for all of you that helped and hosted and visited and welcomed and made that event the, the, the huge success as far as ministry that it was. What a blessing that night was. And, you know, there was one night I, I, I prepared. I had a small part in the program, about seven minutes. I was supposed to talk. I was in the intermission. I was uh, just to speak a few words that related the music of the night into the gospel. And I planned all week what I would say, seven minutes. You know me talking merely seven minutes. How are we going to pull that off? And I I, 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 I thought and I prayed and I, I, I scripted and I went over it and back and forth. And I was a little nervous even prior to. But as I'm listening to the music just before the intermission time, you know how, okay, I got this all planned out. It's all scripted. Oh, that fits nicely together. And the Spirit says, Mm-mm. man, I spent all week. The Spirit says, hmm, listen, look at, look at that improvision that's going on there. Look how these musician, musicians made, it, make, made the music personal. I'm not a musician. I don't really get that. But I saw it happening. And the Spirit told me, that's what you need to speak to these people. These, are, the, these people get that even in ways that you don't. That they need to make the gospel personal in the way that these musicians have made this music personal. It has come into them and then it flows out of them. And there was an improv making it personal that ended up weaving its way through that I had never planned. I won't show you my script because my script was a failure. But when we follow God's leading, we can be catalysts of hope to others. How do I know it's the Spirit's leading? How I can know it's the Spirit's leading, one of the measures of that is, 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 is the next uh, outline that I've given you, being filled with God's Word. The Spirit will take the things of Christ, reveal them to you. He will remind you, Jesus said, of the things that I have said. We have the Word of God to test. Is this the mere meandering of my mind? Is this just my wild imaginations? Or is this the Spirit of the living God telling me this? How does it line up with what I know the Spirit of the living God has already told us? And where I get that out of this passage is listen to what it is that Simeon says. He begins to speak. First of all, he addresses the sovereign Lord, the one who is in charge of everything. He speaks about, as you have promised, dismiss your servant. My eyes have seen your salvation. He begins to run down and, and rehearse Old Testament prophecy in the midst of the things that he says. The comfort of Israel, the consolation of Israel is a reference to Isaiah chapter 40. Handel's Messiah picks it up. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people says the Lord. Time of judgment is past and a time of refreshment from the Lord is now coming. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. You prepared him in the sight of all people. A light 
to the nations, a light to the Gentiles. Isaiah chapter 42, or 49 and verse 6. It's too little of a thing for the Christ to be the Savior of Israel only. I will make you, God says, a light unto the nations. And he will be the glory of Israel. I have set salvation in Zion, God said in Isaiah, for Israel my glory. Over and over and over again. You see, in the, in the, words, that, that, in the words that Simeon expresses, and I gave you some of these. I gave, you as, I gave them as references in your notes. I didn't want to turn to all these passages this morning. But I invite you, those references that I gave you in the, in the bulletin this morning, turn to those later. Look at them and see all of these Old Testament prophecies that are packed into or overflow in the things that Simeon said. Now, why did that happen? Was it just that God magically put words into his mouth that, that were the same words that he'd given Isaiah earlier? Well, maybe the Spirit's efficient. Maybe he economizes. These were good words. Let's use them again. I think it's like this. I think Simeon well knew the Scripture. I think Simeon had spent, I think Simeon had been in Awana. I think Simeon memorized the Scriptures. I think he had so internalized that when he rejoiced and when he opened his heart to God before other people, that the word of God was so in him that it overflowed out of him. God has given us good news. And when we take the time to put it in, then that's what will flow out of us. It'll leak out of us in ways that we don't even expect. I don't think Simeon was saying, let's see, how can I pack the most prophecy into the smallest paragraph? I don't think that's what he was up to here. But it's what happens because the word was in him. If you and I will be filled with the word, then we will see that word flow out of us. And that's what God's word tells us to do. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, fully, abundantly. Let God's word, let God's truth be in you so that in the midst of whatever circumstances, that's what leaks out. That's what comes out. You know, I'm a news junkie. I've confessed that before you before. Hello, my name is Bob, and I'm a news junkie. But the problem with that is I easily then can get into conversations that are all about the current events, especially the political scene and the ins and outs and the intrigue and what's going on. I love that stuff. But it's miserable, really. There's no hope there, but guess what? You get into a conversation and guess what leaks out of me? The stupid stuff I've been reading. Oh, God has given us hope. God has given us good news. And if that's where we've been... If that's where we have intentionally put into us, it changes our outlook, it changes our mood, it changes our perspective. It doesn't mean I'm always happy. But in the midst of circumstances, there's something of God's truth that defies the circumstances that's still rattling around inside of me. And it'll leak out of me to others. That's what Colossians 3 says. We will encourage one another. We will encourage others around us. We will be like Cindy Lou Who. We will be singing in the midst of circumstances in ways that point to hope that is in God alone. Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly in wisdom all day long, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord and to one another. That's Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. 
The word of God is, is the food of hope. It is what fills our souls out of which it will leak out into our lives. And as it leaks out into our lives, we will be strengthened, we will be encouraged, we will be directed, we will be led by the Spirit in line with that word then into a life of worship. Not a morning of worship, not an hour of worship, but a life of worship. A life of sacrificial service that glorifies our Savior, that makes us a catalyst of hope. That's movement number, for, movement number three. We move now to Anna. In the last couple of verses of this section, we're introduced to a woman named Anna. There's a Simeon, and then while he is talking, Anna comes along. Anna is drawn along because Anna has been there at the temple. We don't know if Anna actually had quarters in the temple grounds or if she just simply came. It's like you hear somebody, you know, when, when Awana's going on Thursday, they're here. And when youth is here on Wednesday night, they're here. And when, when we're here on Sunday mornings, they're here. And Sunday school, they're here. When something is here, they're here. They live at the church. Anna lived at the temple. Like I said, I don't, she may have been, she may have been cared for in the temple precincts as a widow and gave herself to service and worship in the temple. What we do know is that daily she was devoted to prayer and fasting and worship at the temple. Anna lives a life of worship. She never left the temple. Worship day and night, fasting and praying and giving thanks to God. Here we are. Romans 12 tells us, begs us on the mercies of God to present our bodies as living sacrifices, wholly acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service of worship, to live out worship, presenting ourselves not now for our own advancement, not now for, my, for our own self-actualization, but to present ourselves to God for his use as our worship in whatever way that may be, a service of worship. We're called to that in Romans chapter 12. 1 Thessalonians 5, another one of those references I gave you, says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Continual prayer. The word is like an incessant cough. <coughs> it doesn't just continue completely so you can hardly breathe, but it keeps coming back. It nags at you. <coughs> it keeps there continue in prayer all the day long. It keeps coming back. Pray without ceasing and in everything give thanks. I spoke last week about uncircumstantial thanksgiving. Giving thanks regardless of the circumstances. Not for the circumstances themselves necessarily, but God, thank you in the midst of this brokenness. I have you, or rather, you have me. Thank you that I can lean on you and that this simply reminds you, me, that this world is not my home, that my God is in heaven and he has reached down to earth and he has sent his son to, to, to live for me, to die for me, to raise me with him, that I have all eternity in the presence of God as my future and right now, whatever happens here only makes me long for it more. Thank you, God, that I'm secure in you. In everything, give thanks. Another aspect of worship, maybe we don't often think of it this way, is to receive, to revel in our forgiveness. I think I've stated before that we're always in danger of having more confidence in our righteousness than our forgiveness. 
We dare not revel in any righteousness that we might see in ourselves. We revel in our forgiveness. Paul says, I will glory in the cross. First John is all about, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we walk in the light as he is in the light. That's what this table's about. This table is about rejoicing in our forgiveness. That is worship. Worship ought to be centered in the sacrifice of Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. Worshiping together, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. And then living, living in daily worship would include what I call in my own notes here, Matthewian mercy. Matthewian mercy. What do I mean by that? Matthew 25. Matthew 25, when Jesus tells the disciples about his coming and his reward, and when he, when, he, when he tells them, I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was homeless and you invited me in. I was a prisoner and you visited me. Lord, when? When did we see you naked and clothed you? When did we see you as a prisoner and visit you? When you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you have done it. You have done it. To me. One of the ways that we live in, in worship is to live in Matthewian mercy. I know I've coined a term today. You'll remember it. Matthewian mercy. It's Matthew 20, 25. That when we have done it to the least of these, we have done it to him. That's living in worship. And as we are living in worship in the midst of a world that doesn't get that, you and I have the opportunity to be catalysts of hope. And you know what? As, we, as I am living in, in, in self-sacrificial, on the basis of God's mercy, giving thanks in circumstance, living out, out mercy as worship, as I do that, I will find that, guess what? As Galatians 5 said, as we live in the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And I will be in step with the Spirit. I will be in harmony with the Spirit. I will be walking in the Spirit, practicing those things that are the, the character of God himself. And I will find myself all the more hearing his voice and being led by the Spirit. Filled with his word, walking in worship rolls me right back around to then following his Spirit. I may be nobody, but I'm God's nobody. I'm God's son. I'm God's heir. I'm God's child. I can't sing like Cindy Lou Who, but I can sing. I can give thanks in everything. I can fill my heart and mind with God's word that it will leak out of me when I don't plan it, but the Spirit pokes it. See, when we're poked by life, what does leak out? That is our opportunity to be a catalyst of hope for others. I hope you, you would learn as I have from Simeon, from Anna. They're old. They're advanced in years. There's wisdom there. They've got something to share. We need it. To follow that example, to follow the Spirit, to be filled with God's Word, to live in worship that we, you and I, this Christmas, there's somebody you're going to be around. There's family already. You're not sure about seeing and yet God could use you 
to be his catalyst of hope in ways that you might be completely unaware of. That's okay, because it's to his glory. Let's pray. Father, would you do that? Father, would you make us indeed your catalysts of hope? Father, we know that we live in a world that needs hope. We live in a world that doesn't just need some hope. It needs your hope. It needs a hope that goes beyond the grave. Father, it needs a hope that, that, that looks for Christ and trusts in him. Father, as we come to this table now, would you, would you cause us to do that? Would you cause us, Father, to live out your hope right here? To live in worship in this moment in ways that fill our own heart so that we might be catalysts of hope for others. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask those that are serving to come forward. And as we serve the Lord's table, this is what the Lord has given those who believe in him to remind us of what he has done for us until he comes again. So it's not a church table. This is the Lord's table for all those who have believed in Christ. If you have believed in Christ, we invite you to share with us. I think as we're going to sing a song as the elements are, 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 are passed, but we're going to first um, just have a little instrumental music as we begin, just to give you opportunity to reflect. I want this to be a... I want this to be an aspect of worship for us. I want us to worship in reveling in our forgiveness, reveling in our redemption, giving thanks as you receive this, this bread and cup. They'll be passed together. Please hold those elements so we can share together. But as they're passed, I want you to remember, first of all, my Jesus gave his life for me so that I could live in God's presence.